Well, welcome to the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay alongside Eric Stearns, and today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was on the baptism of the Lord. Uh, why was Jesus baptized? Why do we practice baptism the way that we do? What does baptism mean for our faith? Is it really going to be the, the what we cover in our conversation? Um, so let's get into it. Sounds good. Can we talk, like, John the Baptist, like, who... Besides Jesus' cousin, like right. we know that much. Yep. Who is this guy? Were there other people baptized? Because you kind of talked about that, how um, people would go get washed for whatever sin they committed. Or, yeah. yep. um, was John someone who was doing that, was doing that for people? Or what, like, what's, what's his background? Sure, yeah. So there is a, there's a separation that has to be made because there is a ceremonial washing that's a part of Jewish faith. Okay. And part of one of those things is the mikvah that we talked about, the bath mm-hmm. that you walk down into and then back out of, and then back out of. But the, even in that umbrella of ritualistic washings, um, there were other ceremonies and other rituals that were performed by Jewish people to be made whole and clean and complete and, in, and then back into right standing with the community and with God. There was a very elaborate hand washing ceremony where you had to like let drops of water run down in certain specific patterns and areas. Um, and so ritualistic cleaning has been a part of Jewish faith since the very foundation of the covenant. Like that's in Deuteronomy. It's in the law. The, the law prescribes these washings that had to happen in order to be made right with God. What John the Baptist was doing is that he was proclaiming not just being made right with God for a while, but really the baptism of the forgiveness of sins. Like, you will be made right with God and enter into a covenantal relationship with God through the waters of baptism. Not just for a time and not just until you come into contact with a pig or a dead body or or when, when women menstruate or when you have babies, like that and men too like there there is a period of uncleanliness for both men and women after childbirth um um interesting yeah hmm. deuteronomy mm-hmm. um leviticus um you know but john was saying no this is bigger this is bigger and the reason why he was he was able to do that and what scripture refer, refers to him as is the one who's preparing the way for Jesus. Um, I think it's both in, is it in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Yeah, it's in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where it is tied to a passage from Isaiah of, you know, there is one coming to to make paths straight and to lift up valleys and lower mountains and, and create the, the 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 highway for God, the highway for God to to just move into the story. But John was the one that was called to prepare the way. Like he was the one that was proclaiming the wilderness. He was the one that was doing all this for work so that when Jesus did come into his own, he could just take off running. He knew it too. John the Baptist in several different places in scripture talked about the fact that Jesus is coming and Jesus is more important. I am baptizing you with water. He'll baptize you with the Spirit. And that's where you really need to be. 
and I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Like that's where that narrative comes in. And in John's gospel, it's even more explicit. There's this, there is a season of ministry where John realizes and even says that he has to decrease, that he, John, has to decrease so that he, Jesus, can increase. And that's where the story starts to shift. And then, you know, obviously, if you read the rest of the Gospels, um, John is eventually beheaded by Herodias, um, by, by Herod, um, because Herodias wanted his head on the platter, basically. How long was John working, do we know? Before, um, before his first interaction. And right, yeah. They're cousins, so obviously they interacted more than just here at the water. Yeah, definitely. But this interaction at the water, do we really know? Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I, I'm sure that people smarter than me know. Sure. And, you know, but I don't, I, I do not know just from reading scripture. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I was having an interesting conversation uh, with Nicole um, Anderson, a friend of mine who's the pastor in, uh, at Hope United Methodist, United Methodist Church in Duluth. And she's just like, it was such a headcanon for me to remember that John is older than Jesus. It's just like, well, yeah, I mean, he was, Elizabeth was very pregnant when Mary found out she was pregnant. And so, yeah, John the Baptist was older. And so it's his younger cousin that he's making the way for. And that's just such a weird you know, we are such a weird dynamic to be like, you're the younger one. Why are you the more famous one? But yeah, mm-hmm. you're the son of God. So of course it makes sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of that, that idea of, you know, him stepping out of the way for his younger cousin is just interesting. Well, but even, I mean, not to um, minimize Jesus, but the fact that John is here is, also an absolute miracle. I mean, all babies oh, are miracles. Yeah. But yes. But considering how old his mother was, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be here either. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he very much should not. Like, this was pure gift from God's hand. And, like, the fact that his name was John, like, if you read, it's in Luke's gospel, where the birth of John the Baptist is, um, is foretold. And the angel tells... It's Gabriel. The angel Gabriel shows up in the temple when um, when Zechariah is doing some priestly duty, and he says, you're going to name him John. And then Zechariah doubts, and so he can't talk for the entire pregnancy. And it's not until it's time to name him, and Elizabeth says his name's going to be John, and her family's like, well, no, there, no one in our family's named John. You can't do that. And the first words in nine months that Zechariah is able to say is, his name is John. Or he actually writes it down, and then he gets his speech back. Um, but, you know, he remained faithful to, to God's promise and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to what God had asked him to do, and that's how he gets his voice back in this whole entire thing. And, you know, the, the, that all worked together to make him who he was. Just, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a huge part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry about that rabbit trail. No, but. it's all good. I think mm-hmm. it's... I think it's important. I think mm-hmm. it's a, it, you know digging into especially on the baptism of the Lord. Like, yes, Jesus is important, but also so is John the Baptist. Like, he's the one mm-hmm. doing the baptizing, so he is obviously a major player mm-hmm. in that as well. Can you give more context on the actual baptism of Jesus? I mean, it, the story is is very consistent um, throughout the, the 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 gospels where it's mentioned. Um, you know, it, it's it's the same kind of story in all all the places. Mm-hmm. Um, or one of the things that I could have dug into more, it kind of gets into the why was Jesus baptized part of it. Like mm-hmm. 
Jesus says that this is going to fulfill all righteousness. And that's a kind of a weird phrase. Like one of the commentaries I read this week, getting ready for the sermon, basically said, we don't know what he meant by that, hmm. which is interesting, but also like this is, this was important enough for Jesus to do it. Mm-hmm. This is what God had called him to. God had called him to the waters of baptism. You know, like I, I, I read um, more often than not now from the sanctuary during worship, I read from our pew Bibles, the, the Good News mm-hmm. translation, it says this helps us to do all that God asked him to do. You know, like that. there's this idea that this is an ordained thing that he had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting that like there's all kinds of reasons as to why he doesn't have to do it, but yet he's so insistent. You know, when, when John talks about, you know, I'm not the one that should be doing this. Like, mm-hmm. this is not how this should go. <laughs> Jesus is the first one, and, and Jesus is emphatic and says, no, this is what God has asked us to do. This is what God has asked me to do, and so this is what we're going to do. Like, right. you are going to baptize me, and he, you know, he pushes, and John relents and, and consents to the to, to, to doing this baptism. And um, there was an interesting parallel um, if you're liturgically nerdy like I am, um, after the baptism, the dove comes down from heaven um, and the voice says, this is my son whom I dearly love, in you I find delight. Those words are for Jesus at the baptism. Like, those words are for Jesus. They're not for anybody else. We're not even sure, based on how the Gospels tell it, we're not even sure if anyone other than Jesus heard the words at that moment. Hmm. Fast forward to the end of the season before Lent starts. The, the last Sunday before Lent is Transfiguration. And in the story of the Transfiguration, the holiness of God dwells upon Jesus once again, and the voice cries out, this is my son whom I dearly love and whom I find happiness. And the difference is, is that this is for the disciples. And then it's added to that that God says, listen to him. So we're not entirely certain that anybody else heard the voice in the baptism story, but everybody that was in the transfiguration story heard that voice and heard the voice of God saying over Jesus these words that only Jesus would have found familiar, but then adding that sentence to listen to him. Hmm. So it's very interesting how these two, these two stories are, a little, are, are tied together in that way, even without the liturgical piece of that being, you know, we're going to start this season after, after Epiphany with the baptism of the Lord, and then right before Lent, the next liturgical season, we have similar words being spoken over Jesus. Mm-hmm. But yet the audience is completely, they're, they're similar words, but they're, they're, but they're so wholly different. Hmm. That is interesting. I found it interesting, you know, because really when you got into... Um, Jesus didn't have to do this. Mm-hmm. There's two things that he essentially chose to do because he was called to. Right. I found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, kind of the same for us. We don't have to do this. This is a choice that we make mm-hmm. um, to be a part of the church. Right. Yeah, and so really Jesus did this because we have to. I mean, he made the choice because we have to make the choice. Mm-hmm. I just found that that was really cool. Yeah, how you put that together. Yep. Like I said, I would have loved to take credit for that thought, but it came mm-hmm. from Rob McCoy, unfortunately. Well, you can call dibs on <laughs> two days ago. So, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it is just such a 
a powerful witness to the heart and character of Jesus that, you know, John the Baptist was right. He did not want to baptize Jesus and should have been baptized. It should have been the other way around. It absolutely should have been. John the Baptist was right. But yet, Jesus was willing to, again, in a way to bring that level of solidarity with us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the author of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is like us in all things, in every way, mm-hmm. except he just has no sin. And that's, I mean, he is. He came to earth, experienced all that we experienced, experienced baptism. He is like us in every way. Mm-hmm. That's how he wants to be known to us, and that's how close he wants us to follow him. He, we, our goal is to be like him. Mm-hmm. You know, that to just as Jesus is like us, inverse is true too. That our goal, sure. our mission, our whatever you want to call it, is to become more and more like Jesus, to be like him in every way. Mm-hmm. to grow up into that maturity, to grow up into that headship, to grow up into, you know, where our lives look like Jesus. Oh. And that that plays so much into our baptismal vows. In the, in the life of the United Methodist Church, we ask them some pretty hard questions. I mean, the vows are not easy vows to take, but we treat them like they are. Mm-hmm. No, do you accept Jesus as your savior? Do you reject sin? Will you stand against injustice? That's happening in the waters of baptism. And in the United Methodist Church, where we baptize infants, that's happening in the waters of confirmation as well. Like there's Mm -hmm. a reason why when I do a confirmation, I have confirmands remember their baptism first, because this is all about them taking those vows unto themselves and so it's all a part of the journey. It's supposed to not be church graduation, but that's how it gets treated a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But it is that rehearsing of these vows that were taken on your behalf so long ago and celebrating the ways that you were formed in your faith to the point that you're taking these vows for yourself. And so let's remember the entire journey. Let's remember our baptism and then come forward and take these vows for yourselves. Sure. And you know, in in and in remembering your baptism, remember those people that were influential in helping you grow in your faith to this point. That this makes that this this that this is the logical next step for you. Mm-hmm. I don't don't really know where, where this fits in, but um, when I was in seminary, um, I had a very interesting and abrupt conversation with a colleague of mine about modes of baptism, um, because in in the United Methodist Church. As United Methodist clergy, I have to be prepared to baptize anybody by whatever, like not within reason, but like we don't officially have a mode of baptism for our denomination. Hmm. And so we have to be prepared to baptize people by any mode that is deemed appropriate. We got into this conversation in seminary about modes of baptism, because, you know, there are different ways of doing a baptism. And I, as you know, Methodist clergy, like I was saying, I get to do all of them. And there was a, a colleague of mine from a different tradition saying, well, Clay, people used to kill each other over modes of baptism. And I was like, and like don't you care? And I was like, no, I don't. That sounds like a really dumb reason to die. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I still feel that way. Like, I don't care how your baptism happened. I care that you're baptized. And I really, I mean, I care that you're living into your baptismal vows. Mm -hmm. How it happened is not the point. God is present no matter what we 
no matter how we do it, you know, but are you living what you're saying you're going to do? Are right. you, are you, and, that, and that goes for for parents that present their children for baptism as much as, you know, people ex- express a believer's baptism. You know, parents on behalf of their children, parents and guardians and sponsors on behalf of their children say, we are going to help this person grow in their faith to the point that they grow to a place of accepting these vows for themselves. Like, that's a big deal. That's a big mm-hmm. ask of people. Why, as Methodists, do we do infant baptism rather than sure that person actually decides for themselves if they want mm-hmm. to be baptized? Right. Why is that? Yeah. Um, part of it is that in Scripture, um, there are entire households baptized. Um, when Peter and when Peter and Cornelius in Acts, Acts ten and following have their interaction, the entire household was baptized, and that means that you know we believe that infant baptism is a scriptural practice. Why we practice infant baptism really echoes back to our roots of of being a part of the Anglican Church, the Church of England, before we we before we splintered off. It's something that we have maintained from our very, our very beginning heritage. Um, we have always been a denomination or a, a movement before we were a denomination. We were always a group that believed in infant baptism, that God can work in the waters of baptism of an infant as well as, as God can work in the baptism and in, in the baptismal waters of a believer, of, a, mm-hmm. of someone that, that practices believer's baptism. Um, so part of it is our heritage. Part of it is a scriptural belief that it is that it is appropriate, um, and then part of it is just that. And why we why we don't practice rebaptism is because we believe in the efficacy of our baptism, even if it is as 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 an, as a, as, a, as a baby. Mm-hmm. So, and what we'll practice is very similar to what we did on Sunday, which is a baptismal remembrance, where we remember our baptism, but. You do not get rebaptized in the, in the United Methodist Church, hmm. it's, and and again, it's also the church proclaiming to, you know, the family of the baptized or the baptized person that we are in this with you. Mm-hmm. And so, if that happens at infant, it is at, in, as an infant, that relationship is founded from the very beginning of of, of a baby's life. Mm-hmm. So. Get them early, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. What's next week? Yeah, so next week is a very exciting week. Uh, we are launching a new message series. Um, right before Advent, I sent a Facebook message to some clergy colleagues of mine and said, hey, I have this half-brained idea of a sermon series. What do you all think? I want to spend some time in the start of the year helping people understand the technical words of, of faith. Like there are words that pastors use that, you know, sometimes make sense to us because we've been through seminary, we've been through formal training or whatever, um, that we just then use. We assume that everyone knows them and we just use them. And that can be super off-putting for people. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to be doing in this sermon series is we're going to be taking theological words, technical words in the, in, the, in the area of church and faith and breaking them down into their basic units and helping us understand why a pastor would use that word, why that word's important and what that word, and not just the word, but like what the, what the concept helps us understand about our faith. 
And so on Sunday, we are starting off this new message series with the word theology. What is theology? Why do we have a theology? What is theology important? Um, And theology is just, you know, as with every ology um, type of a word, theology is the study of God. In Greek, the word is the for the word the word for God is theos, and so you take the theo from the start of that and the ology, and you stick them together, and there you have theology. It's the study of what we believe about who God is, mm-hmm. and the reason why that's important is because I mean, without a, with uh, without a formal way of stating it, we all have a theology. We all have these beliefs, and so how do we talk about them in such a way that's intelligible, and how do we talk about them in such a way that people can understand the the impact that they have on our lives? And so, you know, and it's also just digging into how we understand who God is, um, because it's that study part of things. And so we're going to be digging into theology as a as a topic on, on Sunday, and I'm really excited about it. Cool. Yeah. Was this a sermon series that you are using materials from other people, or is this something that you've come up with? Um, so it's a sermon series that I started with, uh, and what happened is that uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Peggy Hansen, um, who's been on the podcast before, um, is, is now the pastor at Madison. Um, we are now working collaboratively on this sermon series cool. together. So over at Google Docs and Zoom, we've been working on this for the last couple of um, couple of weeks. So, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Thanks for joining us on this week's Comfort Time podcast. Join us again next week in person here at the church, online, or back here for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.